0: Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, A Good Conscience. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. I just want to share some things along the lines of what we've already talked about. We've talked about uh, the authority that God had given us. We used Moses as an example and talked about how Moses operated in God's authority and because of, because he gave himself to God, God gave him back his authority and power. And we talked about that submission and about the authority that we've received. And then we also talked about Gideon and about how that he, you know, the Lord had to spend all of this effort trying to convince Gideon that God was with him. And brothers and sisters, I tell you, this is something that really ministers to me because this is where most of us are. Most of us don't doubt that God has power to do something. The problem is that we doubt that God's going to do it for us. We don't see our position in Christ Jesus. And I don't believe that there's a single person here that would scoff at any of the miracles that we've heard talked about. But if you were in that condition or position, what would you do? See, that's the breakdown. We believe Peter walked on water, but the problem comes when it's your turn to jump out of the boat. Amen? (laughs) I heard one of Dick's tapes back here on how to be a water walker. (laughs) Pretty neat tape, amen? And you see, we believe that God can do this, but the breakdown is we don't believe that we are in the position, or if we do believe it, it's not established in our heart. And how many of you know that there's a difference between believing what God said about you and believing what God said about you? Amen. <laughs> there's a difference. I mean, you've got to get it established. There are many scriptures that talk about the assurance, you know, the full assurance of the hope that's within us. And this is really just a breakdown. We really do not recognize our position. We don't recognize how much God is on our side. And it's not just the fact that we haven't heard, but this is something that the Lord's shown me is that we've heard a truth on one end, but there's still so much religious doubt and unbelief that pulls in the other direction, and it's not being countered the way that it should. Anybody get that? For instance, you can be told about faith... And I'm convinced that faith's not hard, that we've all heard enough faith that we should be out raising the dead and seeing the blind eyes open. Because, brothers and sisters, you can see examples of people that just get turned on. And, you know, like Cheryl from Walden was testifying about all of these. You know, we had her tell her testimony about uh, raising the mannequin from the dead last night. <laughs> well, that was a funny one, but she's seen some powerful things happen, and she saw a car healed when the, when the uh, what were you call it? emergency brake the cable was broke and one of the drums or something what was it on the drum she laid hands on that car and prayed over it and anyway a mechanic looked at it and asked when she got a new rotor and he showed it to her it was a brand new rotor on that thing. And so she says, well, that's the same time I got my brake fixed. And she says, if you'll look, there's a brand new ba- uh, brake cable too, and he looked and a brand new brake cable was there. And the brake was working. anyway, she's seen miracles like that Ab. she's seen you know just a lot of things. And then she found out later she thought that everybody, all Christians believe for things like that. And she said if she had known that that was unusual, she probably wouldn't have been able to believe for it. Now, that shows you, brother, and sisters, she was young. I mean, just a few months old, baptized in the Lord. And it was the sincerity and the purity of her heart. And it's not that it takes huge amounts of faith to accomplish something. It's the fact that we've got so much doubt and unbelief waiting us down, see, that's the problem. I remember I had a vision one time when I was praying for a guy. And the Lord showed me, I was praying for a guy, and here was another guy right beside him that needed the same thing. One of them was just receiving. I mean, his life was being transformed. The other one was just like a deadhead, you know, and I was releasing just as much faith for one as the other. And I was praying, Lord, what's the problem? And he showed me just like two hot air balloons, identical, everything was exactly the same, except one of them had all of these weights, bags on it, you know, that holds them down. The other one had cut all of those things loose, and it was just going and soaring and the other one was still sitting on the ground. And the Lord showed me, he says, there's no difference between the two, it's just the things that are weighting it down. And this is exactly the same thing with us. Brothers and sisters, faith isn't hard. If faith was hard, we couldn't operate in it. Praise God, we've heard enough faith that it should be producing more. Now, I'm not saying we've heard enough faith, we still need to grow and learn, but what I'm saying is we've heard enough. If we didn't have all the religious doubt and unbelief and the other things, you see, that have crept in, that hold us down. And so we've got to deal with those and weed those things out. And along these lines, what I wanted to minister on this morning is, along these lines, one of the things, you see, that keeps us from entering into this is uh, some of the religious condemnation and things like this that we've heard that have taken away our righteous position. And I'd like to minister on a lot of things, and I had not got much time to minister on anything, so maybe I'll minister on this next time. But I would like to talk about how that God views sin and how sin operates in a believer's life, because a lot of people don't understand this. We ministered on this at Greeley, I think, last time we were there. And you know, I've had a bunch of people come to me this week saying that that has turned their life around as much or more than anything that they've ever heard, just something real simple like sin. We're all supposed to know about sin, but you know, surprisingly, we don't. And anyway, specifically, I'll get into what I wanted to talk about this morning. It's about our conscience. It's about the conscience and how the conscience enters in. And it's important that you understand how your conscience functions. There's a lot of scriptures in the Bible that talks about the conscience, and also there's a lot of scriptures that imply the conscience. In other words, it may not use that name, but it talks about the same function that your conscience performs. And so anyway, it's important for you to realize how your conscience works for you and also how it works against you. Your conscience is the part of you that Satan uses to condemn you. It's also the part that God used the law on and it's also the part that can be renewed by the Lord. It can bear witness, it can be a beneficial thing or it can be detrimental. And many people, say aren't aware of all of these things, and we have the ability to deal with our conscience. Your conscience isn't a physical part of you. You can't cut it out, amen, like a finger or anything. It's not a physical part. It's just a judgment that God set within each person that shows the work of the Lord, whether it's right or wrong. For instance, let me show you some scriptures on this out of Romans chapter 1. And these are some powerful scriptures for people that are going over to pagan lands, Uh, Like when I was over in India, I had to remind myself of these exact scriptures because when you get in certain instances, you think, well, these people have never heard before. And some of them may not have heard the word in the sense that we're preaching it, but these scriptures right here make it clear that God has shown himself and revealed himself to every person. I don't care if it's a person that has never seen another person on the earth. If they've lived isolated all of their life, God has given them a revelation of himself. Out of Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God... Let me back up. Verse 16 is talking about we aren't ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek for therein, talking about in the the good news... Not in the bad news, but in the good news of the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then he says, for the wrath of God. Now what he's doing, he's contrasting. He says, we're preaching the gospel because that's what reveals the righteousness of God. And he says, the reason we're preaching the gospel is because the wrath of God is already revealed. Now this is important that people get this because a lot of people take it upon themselves to preach the wrath of God. Man, you don't have to preach the wrath of God. The Bible right here is making it clear that the wrath of God is already revealed. And there is a just use for the law in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, or 1 Timothy 1, 9. We may deal with that later. But basically speaking, everybody knows they're rotten, amen. I remember Joe Nay was a good friend of mine. And he was turned off to religion because they was always preaching he was rotten. He was always getting drunk, and he'd drive home 80 miles an hour and see, you know, get right up next to the curb and see the sparks fly from his wheel, and he thought that was fun. He knew that he was a drunk. He knew all of those things, and he said he didn't need anybody to tell him he was a drunk. He needed somebody to tell him that God loved drunks, amen, Amen. and if there was a way out of it. He knew he was in a mess. He just didn't know there was any way out. And so this is what he's saying. He says, we're preaching the good news because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. It says all ungodliness. That means there isn't any ungodliness that's left. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now this right here says God has revealed himself to every man, the creature placed within, the creator placed within the creature, a knowledge of God, and it says they are without excuse. They have learned even his eternal power and Godhead. That refers to the Trinity. And I can testify to this, when I was in Vietnam, that there was a place right outside my, uh, oh, what do you call that, brigade headquarters, and we would drive by there, and there were three temples. I've got these on some slides. And there were three temples, but they were all one temple. They were separated, only like about two feet apart, and they were real old. Trees had already grown out of the top of them and stuff. And I asked people about that, and they dated those things back like a two or three hundred A.D. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Christianity came. And as I checked into that, it was a triune God. They worshipped one God, but they recognized a trinity, and they built three separate deals. Now, of course, that wasn't a true worship of our God. They had perverted it, but what I'm saying is you could see the knowledge of God revealed to them. They understood a trinity, and they had perverted it and corrupted it into their own form, but yet you could see that there was a truth revealed. God had revealed to them hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before a Christian message ever got to them, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And so this right here, this is the judgment. God has placed within every person the, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of what is good and what is bad. And it goes on, of course, I won't take time to read this, but you can read in the book of... Uh, Romans right here about how that they took this knowledge and perverted it over in the second chapter in verse 15 it's talking about the ungodly let's look in verse 14 it says for when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law these having not the law are a law unto themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another and this right here again see brings the conscience into play the conscience Gives, it bears witness, and it will either accuse or it will excuse. It will either bear witness and build you up, which we'll give other scriptures in a while to show how your conscience can be a beneficial thing, or it can accuse you. In other words, it is the part that condemns you. It's the part where condemnation comes from. Now it says out of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And so, we are, we now have no condemnation. But does that mean that it is just an automatic reality? No, God has taken away the condemnation. But you see, we still have this conscience that has been taught to condemn. Now, I'm going to have to explain this. First of all, let's look over here in Genesis chapter 3. And I'll show you what happened as soon as Adam and Eve sinned. In Genesis chapter 3... It says in verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now, this right here, Adam and Eve sinned. As soon as sin entered, immediately their conscience was defiled. Now, there's many scriptures that we can uh, quote. We'll probably get on some of these in a minute over in the New Testament that talks about having their conscience defiled. Your conscience can be corrupted. Your conscience can be defiled. It can be seared and a lot of other things that it says about it. What happened was as soon as sin entered, their knowledge of what was right and wrong was immediately triggered and immediately condemned. It immediately accused them, exactly like it talks about over there in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, and the conscience immediately began to put forth condemnation. Fear came of judgment because they knew that they deserved judgment. It was a righteous knowledge on the inside of them. They knew they deserved judgment. And so they immediately went and hid themselves. But that was not the thing to do. In the first place, it's dumb to think that a bunch of fig leaves would hide you from God. Amen? (laughs) You see, the conscience isn't everything. It doesn't tell you everything. But they acted on that defiled conscience, this knowledge of good and evil in it, and they went and ran from God. They should have run to him because, praise God, God... I haven't got time to deal with this. Maybe we will later. I'll just mention some of these things real quick. You'll have to get them uh, verified on your own. But God didn't kick them out of his presence, the way that people talk about, the way that they were fearful of. God did not do away with them and kick them out of the Garden of Eden and say, I want nothing to do with you. You are unholy and I'm holy and I can't touch you. He put them forth from the Garden of Eden, and the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, it was so they couldn't put forth their hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And in the fourth chapter of Genesis, you can find God still walking and talking with Cain and Abel. Even after Cain killed Abel, you find out that God talked with Cain, and Cain didn't think a thing strange about it. The Lord came and said, Well, where's your brother Abel? And he says, I don't know him. I'm my brother's keeper. He didn't even flinch when God Almighty spoke to him in an audible voice. Why? Because he was used to God talking to him. And you'll find out that the Bible says Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, how could Cain leave something he didn't have? The presence of the Lord was still with man, and God never separated us from his presence. And, of course, I know some people are sitting there saying, Well, brother, what about sin? Well, I, I tell you what, Boy, <laughs> well, I'd like to answer a lot of these questions If you'll just stick with us Next time I get an opportunity I'll deal with that, amen But the answer real quick is that of uh, Romans chapter 5 Where it says, until the law came The Lord did not impute sin where there is no law That didn't mean that there wasn't sin And that didn't mean that sin wasn't still a deadly thing But God didn't impute it or hold it against them Lay it to their account It's the same way that God can fellowship with a baby are a young child before they get born again, and God can speak to them. They are born with the sin nature, and I, I'm going to chase a rabbit here, amen, and answer some questions, because when Dick was ministering the other night, he was talking about how that we're born dead and how we're born with the sin nature, and I agree with that, and there's scriptures that verify that and bear it out. He didn't go into that to a great de- uh, degree, But then on the other hand, there are scriptures like Romans chapter 7, where it says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And I've heard people on the other extreme say that a child is born with a live spirit. They don't have a dead spirit within them. And it seems like a total contradiction, and I've seen people, you know, polarized by this thing. But I believe that the answer to it is that we did inherit the nature of Adam. And you can verify that by Romans chapter 5, where it says that by one man... Death entered into all, and judgment passed upon all through one man. Did you know? Praise God! How am I going to answer all these things, brother? Uh, it's not actually your sin; it's sending you to hell. The word impute, if you'll look the word impute up, the word impute means to take what somebody else has done and lay to your account. For instance, Jesus imputed righteousness unto you. You didn't earn righteousness, it was imputed unto you. Well, Romans chapter 5, and, and again, I'll deal with this in greater depth, okay, later. But Romans chapter 5 says that sin has been imputed unto us, and the imputed sin is what sent people to hell. I used to pass out these tracts that said, what you must do to go to hell, and you open it up, and on the inside it was blank. And you turn it over and it says, that's right, nothing for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And what we were doing was saying, you don't have to go out and live a sinful life, man, you're born a sinner. All right? And so that's an established fact in the Word, we'll deal with that more later. But on the other hand, it's, it says that I was alive without the law once, and what happens to a baby? Do they die and go to hell if, because they were born with the sin nature? Well, there's examples in the Bible where, for instance, David prayed for his baby that died that was smitten because it was born out of uh, adultery and everything. And David prayed for that baby, and he got up and he said, that, I shall go unto him, but he shall not come back again unto me. Well, David didn't go to hell, amen. So David was saying that that child was with the Lord. And uh, also the Bible talks about, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, about sanctifying a child and then becoming uh, holy and all of these things. And so it seems to be two opposites. But what it is, the child is born with the sin nature, but it is not imputed unto him until the law comes. Then sin revives and they die. So they are alive unto God. Now, see, many people in Romans chapter 7, when it says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died, what they're thinking is that they had a perfect spirit at one time. No, you didn't have a perfect spirit. Your spirit was still, uh, the na- it was the nature of sin that is passed on to you, but it was not held against you, and you were able to communicate with God. Now, a lot of people just can't understand that because sin has been uh, presented out of proportion, But God did not impute sin. There was a period of time when God did not impute sin, and and it's not as people thought. God didn't kick Adam and Eve out and just let them stew in their juice and not have anything to do with man because he was too holy to fellowship with them. God still walked and talked with man. Now, there were some differences that sin made, but God was still trying to communicate with man. And God tried to come down and dwell among men. And when Moses was around, he came down and spoke to the people out of an audible voice from the cloud. And he was willing to once again walk and talk among his people, exactly the same as he did with Adam and Eve. He was trying to inject himself back into the human race and to instill that uh, relationship again. And the people said, don't let him do it." it. says, you talk to the Lord and you come tell us what he said. And the Lord finally said, it's a good thing that they've said. I won't talk to them anymore. Man went out from the presence of God. All right? And the reason was because this conscience was activated, it condemned them, and man simply has felt too rotten, too unworthy, too unholy to be in the presence of God. And so, anyway, God never intended to start imputing sin unto people. He was willing to bring in salvation, but... Sin has a twofold effect. Sin not only produced this uh, uh, relationship between us and God that was broken, where we were condemned and all this, but sin also put us in bondage to the devil. It has a twofold effect. And although, let's look over here in Romans chapter 5. I'm not going to be able to get around this. (laughs) Praise God. I've been trying to sidestep this the whole time, so we'll just go to it. It says in verse 13, or let's read verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Death entered by one man, not through what you did, but through what Adam did. Death entered by one man, for until the law of sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. The word impute means to take what somebody else did and lay it to your account. That's not talking about what you did, that's talking about what somebody else did. Adam's transgression, the sin nature was not imputed unto you where there is no law. Nevertheless, he's saying, that God wasn't holding these sins against us. Nevertheless, death reigned. Now, somebody might say, well, if God wasn't holding it against us, well, then that means it is just as if you'd never sinned. No, not so at all, amen, because sin is still deadly. Sin had a twofold effect. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Why? Because Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If you submit yourself unto Satan through sin, you let Satan have mastery over you. Although God was trying to deal with his people in mercy, sin was giving Satan an open door into their life. And through it, Satan was destroying the human race. Sin is deadly. Turn from sin. But it wasn't God who was imputing this sin upon people. God was trying to deal with them in mercy, but they were just running wild in sin. They were being totally destroyed by it. I don't know if you all caught it, but yesterday when Stephen was ministering, he was talking about living a holy life. And I'm try- what I was started off on conscience for is to try and bring all this into uh, to a harmony about living a holy life, holiness, and at the same time, righteousness. And we're going to get there sooner or later if I have to do it next session, amen. But anyway, if you notice what Stephen said, Stephen said something about living a holy life. If you don't live a holy life, the power of God won't flow through you. Now that's true. But where most people have missed it is they think if you don't live a holy life, God won't bless you with that power. But Stephen went on to say you won't operate in that power because Satan's going to have an opportunity in your life and Satan will stop it. Now see, most people miss this. We've heard holiness preached, but we've heard holiness preached so that you can earn the blessings of God. Now, that's totally wrong, praise God. Holiness doesn't get you anything with God. Amen. Amen. Isn't that contrary to religious doctrine? (laughs) Oh, brother, you know, I believe you've got to do this and this and this. Well, you do have to do this and this and this to experience it, but it's because if you don't, Satan's going to steal it from you, not God's not going to grant it to you. If God was going to impute sin unto you and hold sins against you, which ones is he going to hold? Well, the bad ones. There aren't any good sins. If you aren't perfect yet, then you can't get anything from God if you're going to earn it through your holiness. Amen. On, amen. So holiness is important, but why? So that you can take opportunity away from the devil, so that you don't give Satan an opportunity in your life, and specifically, I'm going to get back to where I was starting, amen. <laughs> specifically, the reason holiness is good is because your conscience is still a factor. Your conscience, brothers and sisters, cannot just be overlooked. It is something that God established, and it functions. And many people see They they just try and ignore it and they try and sit here and say, well I'm righteous and God made me righteous and bless God, I'm not going to receive through what I did, I'm going to receive through what Jesus did. Now you're going to have to operate in that to a degree because you're always going to miss it and blow it somewhere and your conscience is going to jump up and begin to condemn you and say you aren't worthy. You need to know how to purge your conscience as it says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22. You need to learn how to purge it because you'll always need purging of your conscience. So you need to learn that. But at the same time, one of the best systems is that your conscience can also bear witness and your conscience can give you boldness in the presence of God. If you do live a holy life, your conscience can bear witness. And instead of sitting here having to sprinkle it with the blood of the Lord and say, I refuse to be condemned by this, you can actually have your conscience bearing witness and saying, praise God, brother, you've been seeking God with your whole heart. You have a conscience void of offense. You know that you have not given place to the devil and you can have boldness. And you see, the only way to get that conscience purged is through applying the blood of the Lord Jesus and then not going out and open that conscience up to sin and open it up to disobedience. In other words, live a holy life and it won't condemn you. And we could stop 99% of the condemnation coming against us by living a holy life, amen, and not allowing that conscience to condemn us. And many people are ignoring their conscience. They're trying to operate in faith and righteousness, but you see they aren't dealing with this conscience. They're trying to ignore it. And brothers and sisters, your conscience is a very, very important part of your faith. I'll show that to you. Let's look over here out of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Amen. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, it says in verse 18 This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. And this scripture right here says that you not only have to have faith, but you have to have a good conscience with, with faith because some people have not had a good conscience and faith mixed together and they have made their faith shipwrecked. Shipwreck doesn't mean it never went anywhere. It means it didn't get to where it was supposed to go. Amen. Are there any of you that you know that faith is working in your life, but it simply isn't producing the way that it's supposed to? You always get shipwrecked before you get there. It's very possible that the problem is that your conscience is defiled and that you've not learned how to purge the thing, and also there's very possible that there's something you're doing that is continually (laughs) defiling your conscience, that is an inroad that is keeping your heart from bearing witness with what you're saying. You know, it's not just a confession from your mouth. Now, I believe in confession, praise God, and we preach confession, and we talk about confessing the Word of God, but the Bible says that you have to confess it with your mouth and believe it from your heart. It's got to be out of your heart. And there are many people sitting here speaking faith and speaking the right things and trying to go through the motions, but the entire time their heart is not bearing witness. Their heart isn't in agreement with it and it's not bringing power the way that it's supposed to. It's sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It sounds good to somebody, but it simply isn't producing because it's not coming from their heart. Well, the conscience is a part of your heart. You can see that out of Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at this scripture. In Hebrews chapter 10, In verse, let's start reading uh, verse 17. Let's go back to, well, where's the first of that verse? Let's start reading with verse 15. It says, Wherefore the Holy Ghost also has witnessed us, for after that he said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now a remission of these is there is no more offering for sin having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. What he's saying right here, he's talking about the new covenant, and he says, now look, since we have this new covenant, since we have a bold way to enter into the presence of God, not any longer the way they did in the Old Testament, but through the veil, that is through his flesh. It's been rent from top to bottom. We had access right into the holiest. He says, let us draw near with a true heart In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And right here again, you see, it's coupling faith and your conscience together. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And right here again, he is talking about how that your conscience works together with your faith. You have to sprinkle your heart from an evil conscience. Now what happened was when people sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned immediately, their conscience condemned them because their conscience knew the righteous judgment of God. Their conscience is the ability to understand right and wrong, the righteous judgment of God, and their conscience can produce condemnation. An evil conscience, as we read in Romans chapter 2, it can accuse you or else excuse you. And so their conscience began to immediately condemn them. That's what happened with us. And when the law came, the reason the law was given, the law activated a man's conscience. You see, you can, the Bible says over in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that you can have your conscience seared with a hot iron. And that means, just like, for instance, if you had a wound in your flesh, you could take a hot iron and it and scab the thing over. It would seal the thing and, and it would protect it. It'd keep anything from penetrating. A person can corrupt their conscience and can harden it to the degree that they no longer listen to the righteous judgment of God. And one of the ways that this happens is, you know, the Bible says that we comparing ourselves among ourselves are not wise. You look around and say, well, everybody's doing it. You sear your conscience when you start doing that. You start comparing yourself and you start saying, well, homosexuality, you know, everybody's doing it. They got rights too. These gays have rights too. And people are sitting here trying to justify it and people are searing their conscience. And actually, they can reach a point where they are beyond the conviction of that conscience, where their conscience doesn't convict them. You can pollute that conscience to that degree. And the Bible verifies that again in Romans chapter 1 if you continue reading on through that chapter. And so, the conscience was being defiled, the law was given to reactivate that conscience. You see, it still retained that knowledge, it was just seared over, and boy, when the law came, your conscience revived. Your conscience immediately began to produce, but it also, with the law, came judgment and condemnation. And the law stimulates your conscience to condemn you. The law was the ministration of death, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and many, many other scriptures. The law was given to condemn, never to fulfill, never to keep, but simply to show you a righteous judgment, to restore back to you God's righteous judgment so that you wouldn't trust in yourself or think, well, everybody's going to make it. You know, I'm not any better off or worse off than this person. It put things back in perspective for you. And so it had a partial good, but also at the same time, it it produced an evil conscience within you, a conscience that was continually condemning you every step that you went, that you aren't good. God can't bless you. God can't use you. Now, you see, religion has taken up the law, and religion has come along and ministered condemnation and law to us, and what has happened is our conscience has been so defiled, brothers and sisters, to where we think that we are so far below God that God could never use us, God could never bless us. We believe Peter walked on water, but how could I walk on water? That's because your conscience is defiled. Your conscience is so aware of your sin and your unworthiness, and it hasn't been sprinkled from this evil conscience. You haven't renewed this conscience. And you see, under the New Covenant, are you still in Hebrews chapter 10? In Hebrews chapter 10, under the New Covenant, it says in verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sin. Under the Old Covenant, if those Old Covenant sacrifices could have produced an atonement, it says they would have had no more conscience of sin. Boy, that's a powerful statement. No more conscience, no more awareness of sin. Well, under the new covenant, and he goes on to say that in verse 10 and verse 14, through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been sanctified forever, and those who he sanctified, he perfected forever. Jesus' atonement did work, so therefore we have received this benefit of having no more conscience of sin. You can reach point, brothers and sisters, to where your conscience does not condemn you. Now, like I say, don't sit there and go out and live in sin and just fight the battle total all of the time. We need to be living a holy life, but you need to realize that if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and that you do not lose your standing with God, that you are still the righteousness of God, that you have access unto him, and you can have your heart sprinkled from this evil conscience so that you can approach boldly right into the throne room, amen, right through the veil, right into the presence of God, and your conscience can bear witness that you are cleansed, that you are sanctified, you're perfected forever. And most people have just never got into this area. They have never begun to deal with this. Amen? And religion is responsible for a lot of it. Religion has been sitting here telling us that we're unworthy, and we've got to renew our mind and begin to see that, praise God, through Jesus, I have been made worthy. All right? So we need to purify and purge that conscience, but the point that I was wanting to bring out and bring these things into harmony is that that conscience still knows right and wrong. That conscience still, it is its natural function to condemn. Now, if it begins to condemn, take Romans 8.1 and say there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, and stop that condemnation. But a better way is don't give it anything to condemn you over, amen? And if you don't give it anything to condemn you over, then have you boldness and confidence before God, and you'll find out that your heart will begin to bear witness, and your faith will not be shipwrecked you will have such a boldness and confidence that, praise God, you'll be able to enter boldly in and do all of these things. You know one reason people are shook when they lay hands on them like, is it going to work? It's because their conscience isn't totally cleansed. They know that God can heal or they wouldn't be laying hands on the sick. But they sit there, God, are you going to do it through me? Am I able to receive this? Their conscience is not bearing witness. Their conscience is going the other direction. Maybe it's because they've been living in sin, or maybe it's because they haven't been living in sin and they haven't stood firm in their righteousness and their position in Christ and haven't renewed that conscience. Either one of them is deadly. Amen? You can't go out and practice sin and continually have your conscience just bear witness. You'll be spending all your time trying to purge your conscience, and brothers and sisters, that's not right. A person that's living in sin, it's not that God's going to withdraw from you. It's the fact that you've opened up the door to the devil. Your own conscience is even fighting against you to the point that you are sitting here and having no confidence and no assurance. Let's look at another scripture over here in First, first uh, John chapter 3. In First John chapter 3, it says in verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Why do you have to assure your heart? Because, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, your conscience is a part of your heart. You have to have your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. And I'm not, I'm not got time to explain this one either, amen? I have to throw this out and you have to get it verified. Most people think your heart and your spirit are synonymous. They are not. Your spirit is a part of your heart, but your heart comprises your inner being. It's your soul and your heart together. I mean your spirit together. Your spirit and soul together comprise your heart. Now there are specific instances in Romans chapter 3 where it talks about that circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, and that would leave you with the impression that spirit and heart are synonymous. But then you look at other scriptures where it says out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, and all of these things. Does that talk about only sinners have those things? Believers sometimes have an evil uh, thoughts come out of them, things like that. But our spirit has been purified. Your spirit is not producing evil thoughts, brothers and sisters. That's coming out of your soulless realm. And the Bible also says in James chapter 4, purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's not talking about your spirit's double-minded and needs purifying. That's talking about that you got a soul there. Your heart is a term that refers to spirit and soul together. Sometimes according to context, it'll refer to one only. Like, but that's not wrong. Like, for instance, if you're talking about a car, you say, boy, that is a, a uh, hot car. Well, you know, you aren't talking about the body of the car or you aren't talking about the tailpipe. You're talking about that engine, amen? And you can specify by the context what you're talking about. You can refer to car, and by car you could be speaking about the brakes, you could be speaking about the engine, you could be speaking about any part of it, and depending on the context, it's still proper to refer to it as a car because it's a part of it. But it, technically speaking, car refers to the whole thing, amen? From the rubber on up. Y'all see that? And that's the way it is with heart. Heart refers to spirit and soul together. And I haven't got time to go into that. Like I said, I'll verify that if anybody wants to study about it any further. But anyway, this right here says that we have to assure our heart. Our spirit is continually, the Bible says the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Our spirit doesn't need assurance. Your spirit doesn't need to be assured, but your old soulish man, your thought life, and part of it is your conscience, needs to continually be purged and to be assured that you are in right standing with God. Amen. For if our heart condemneth, and we've already established that condemnation is a product of the the conscience. So this is talking about your conscience. If your heart condemneth, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Now what this is saying is, if you do defile your conscience through something you did wrong, does that mean that God is angry at you if you think he is if you've come under condemnation no God's greater than our heart and he knows the truth you're still in the right stand with God God loves you the whole time you've been belly aching and bawling and squalling God you'd never use me God was just as you know prone to use you as anybody else God's never had anybody who was qualified working for him yet amen he didn't use anybody because they're great qualifications he'd have used you if you'd have let him God was greater than your heart, but if your heart isn't bearing witness and if you aren't in agreement, how can two walk together except they be agreed? If you aren't in agreement and if your heart's condemning you, although God wants to flow through you with his power and anointing, you won't see it manifest because you're going to stop it and say, I'm not worthy, I'm ungodly, I'm undone. So if our heart condemneth, God's greater than our heart and knoweth all things. But the next verse says, Beloved, if our heart condemneth not, then have we confidence towards God. Now, if your heart is condemning you, you're still righteous. You're still in right standing with God, but you aren't going to benefit from it because you can't walk in it. You're defiled. Your thoughts, your conscience is defiled. But the verse 21 says, if your heart doesn't condemn you, then have you confidence towards God. Boy, you want boldness, and you want confidence, and you want your heart to start bearing witness and giving, you know, assurance so that you don't have any reservations when you go to speaking to the dead, amen, when you go to speaking to these things, you start living a holy life. You start taking away opportunity from Satan to come in and defile you, and you have to, you don't have to spend all of your time sitting here trying to convince yourself you're the righteousness of God, amen, you can just establish that truth and go on, and you don't have anything that's coming against you and triggering that mechanism inside of you that's telling you that you're unworthy and that you're unrighteous. Now, you'll never reach a point that you won't have to stand on the atonement of the Lord Jesus because none of us are perfect, amen? You are never going to reach a point where you don't have to go back and dwell on righteousness and your position and what the blood purchased for you because you're continually blowing it. But I'm saying that we are fighting 90% of the battles we don't have to fight if we would just withdraw our foot from some things and if you begin to discipline yourself and bear witness. Did you not, have any of you ever seen this that, uh, you go into any of you that are ministers. I know you've done this. you go into a service, you know God has given you something to say, but maybe you just really uh, you had not been out living in sin, but you just have been carnal, you've been occupied maybe with doing things about the Lord. You have not spent time with the Lord. you haven't been in His presence, you haven't been renewing your mind, you haven't been fellowshiping with Him the way that you should. You can stand up and minister and sometimes see some of the greatest ministries that you've ever had. Just simply because you're standing in the righteousness of God and God flows through It's not according to how many hours you prayed, how many hours you fasted, how much Bible study you put in, praise God. It's just according to His righteousness and holiness, and we've all seen that. But then we've also seen times when you did fellowship with the Lord, and you didn't do it to earn anything. You didn't do it to say, God, look, I'm going to fellowship five hours, and boy, that's going to earn me the anointing. No, if you do that, that's the work of the law. That'll get you nothing. But if you do it simply saying, Father, I know that you'd flow through me. You've given me an anointing. You said you'd put your words in my mouth. My words would be fire, and The people wouldn't and devour them. And say, i stand on your word. You don't have to do anything to get God's blessing. But you say, Father, I just want to fellowship with you and be sensitive and make sure that I'm tuned in and listening. And you spend that time with the Lord and you discipline yourself and you come off of a three-day fast where you've had your mind stayed on the Lord. And boy, watch out. Now, did God get more pleased with you because you had fasted and done these things, and God gave you more anointing, and God was more pleased to work through you because you were a clean vessel? No. God wasn't any more disposed either way, but you were changed. Your conscience was bearing witness. Your conscience was purged, and your conscience was right in there with your mind stayed on the Lord. You weren't fighting these skirmishes outside. You had your mind stayed upon the Lord, and praise God, boldness, authority, and power began to flow through you. Amen. you all see that? Well, that's real hurriedly today. I went through a bunch of stuff in a short period of time. But anyway, if you'll receive this and put it together, this will harmonize holiness and righteousness. Amen. And you see, most of the time people either preach one or the other, but not the combination. But I think it's good what the Lord's bringing forth here, see, because, man, we, I believe getting it put in a proper perspective. There needs to be holiness so that your conscience will bear witness. You need to separate yourself from sin so that, praise God, your conscience can start bearing witness and giving confidence instead of condemning. It's got a positive function, but if you keep it busy condemning all the time, it can't bear witness at the same time. It can't do two things at one time. So we need to be living a holy life. Why? Not to earn from God. I'm righteous, and brothers and sisters, if I went out here and lived in sin... And if I came in and stood up here and spoke the Word of God to you today, the Word of God would carry the anointing of God. The Word of God would work. People would be saved, healed, and delivered because of the Word of God, not because of my holy life. And boy, it's important that we get that because I know that ministers especially come under such a bondage that, man, I've got to be holy for God to use me. If you're under that, you're under oppression. You're under bondage because you aren't holy in your natural man, only in your spiritual man. You've got to get to the point that you aren't believing God's flowing through you according to your holiness, but at the same time, that doesn't give you a license to go live in sin because if you live in sin, you're going to defile your conscience, and even though God has these blessings and anointing laid up for you, your conscience will prevent you from entering into that. You'll become shipwrecked before you ever get there because that conscience will be defiling you. So, man, live a holy life. Get that conscience straightened out so it can bear witness instead of condemn. Amen. And when you combine holiness with righteousness then you got something, amen? And brothers and sisters, we need that. And it will really set you free, really benefit you. Amen? Praise God. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of God today, Father, and I believe that we've had revelation knowledge from you to be able to understand and perceive these things. And Father, I know this has been an answer to a lot of people and I believe that you bring these things back to our remembrance and it gives us wisdom, Father, so that we are able to receive that this sticks with us, Father, and that it bears witness. Father, we praise you. Praise you, Lord Jesus. The Lord is ministering to some people. He's confirming his word, the things that have been spoken this morning. And there are some people here that you have really been struggling with righteousness. And you've really been struggling with this, and you've been trying to apply it, and you've been trying to operate in righteousness, but the Lord has spoken to you this morning and told you that along with righteousness, there also needs to be a turning from sin. And that there's things in your life that you have not truly committed yourself the way that you should, and your conscience is continually defiling you, and you're having to continually bring back up the scriptures on righteousness and apply them... And the the reason for the struggle is because you've been taking the right scriptures, trying to operate in it, but at the same time you've been living a life that your conscience knows is not committed unto God. And it's bearing witness against you. And praise God, the Lord has opened up your understanding this morning and has encouraged you not let go of any of the righteousness that you've heard and that you've learned but along with it make yourself a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God yield yourself to him and if you blow it apply the righteousness of God walk in the righteousness of God but also he's calling people this morning to make a commitment to holiness to commit themselves to separate themselves from things that have been defiling that conscience you know there are things that may not be sin to you but if they defile your conscience quit them lay aside the weights and the sins which so easily beset you and the Lord's calling some people today just to make that kind of a commitment before him Amen. I want to pray a prayer with you and I'm not going to ask you to come forward but I am going to ask you to at least lift your hand with me and we're going to pray a prayer I want you to do something to act on it and praise God those of you that you know that maybe you haven't committed yourself to him now if you haven't, if you've just blown it don't raise your hand apply righteousness and get to operating in righteousness but if you've truly never really committed yourself to separate yourself unto God and if your heart's been defiling defiling you conscience has been defiled then praise God lift your hand with me and let's pray a prayer Father, right now, we lift these folks up unto you, Father. And I believe that the truth that has been spoken, Father, has become revelation unto them. And, Father, we don't commit our lives to you in holiness so that we can earn your blessing. Father, I stand accepted in the beloved, in Christ Jesus. And if I never did anything right, I still believe I have right standing with you because of Jesus' atonement. Father, I praise you for it. But, Father, we desire that Satan not have opportunity against us. Father, we desire to purge this conscience. We desire to walk with you in a way that, Father, Satan wouldn't come against us and wouldn't be sitting here condemning us at all times. Father, we desire to have our heart bear witness and give us confidence, like it says in 1 John 3, 21. And, Father, we commit ourselves to you today, Father, and I believe that you touch these people's hearts. And Father, from their heart, they make a commitment to truly submit themselves unto you, to yield themselves unto you with everything that they've got. Father, their desire be to live for you, Father, whether it costs persecution, whether people ridicule, whatever it costs, Father, to make a total yielded sacrifice to make Jesus the Lord over everything in their life. Father, for those that have had habits, Father, that you do not condemn them for, but that their consciences condemn them because they know that they should be free and they can't get free. Father, I believe that right now that we yield those things unto you, Father, we turn from them and we draw on the anointing power of the Holy Ghost and we release the anointing of God through this place and we speak to you, Satan. We speak to you and we break all those nicotine spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things that have been used to condemn people, we break that in the name of the Lord Jesus and we turn from it in Jesus' holy name. From alcoholism, follow, we break that in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Satan, we command you to loose them and to let them go. Bless God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord Jesus. Gluttony, we break gluttony in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan, I command you to loose them and to come out of them in the name of Jesus. Backbiting gossip, we break that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's people here that you've had problems with exaggeration. You call it exaggeration, it's lying. We break that in the name of the Lord Jesus and we refuse to allow this to occur any longer and to continually condemn us. We break that in the name of Jesus. And Father, I, bl- I believe that the anointing of the Lord God is available right now. And every person, Father, that's had any of these problems or anything else had not been ministered, we draw upon that anointing and I believe that it breaks the yoke. I believe that. And, Father, I believe that people are committed unto you to live, Father, to live a life that even the world could see and recognize that, Father, they are separated unto you. I praise you, Father. Father, we bless you. We believe that deliverance in Jesus' name. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Bless Jesus. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Father. Father, we you praise you. Hallelujah. Bless God. Well, out there, there's some powerful things happening in here. Some of you have been set free. And there are some of you that all of you are speaking about righteousness. Amen. Now I'm not minimizing that, apply it, but I guarantee you when you couple righteousness together with the commitment that you've just made, and hold on to it, there's now a joy and a peace and a release that some of you haven't been able to receive before. And praise God, realize that it's a coupling of the two, and realize this too, that you will make a mistake. And when you do make a mistake, don't drop back to the same place you were. Get up and apply what you know about it. Praise God, I'm the righteousness of God, whether I lived up to it or not. But then dust yourself off and start all over as if nothing happened and get with it again. Amen. God doesn't fall off his throne because you make a mistake. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God for Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, if you can just receive what we've talked about, you know the love of God will flow. We didn't even talk about love, but we have. It's the love of God that bought you that atonement, brothers and sisters. It's the love of God that can purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews chapter 9 says that. The blood of the Lord Jesus for the everlasting covenant purged your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.